And finally, we pray for this time now as we read your word and hear the word preached. Holy Spirit, move in our midst, move in our hearts, give us understanding of the text we read and help it help us apply it to our lives that we might live for you and worship you by the way we live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, uh, we took a break from our sermon series in the Gospel of Matthew as the Holy Spirit led us and we felt led to to study Psalm 57 and the way that David prays and still glorifies God, even in the midst of distress and darkness. And so if you're struggling this morning, if you're thinking, oh, I just need to hear words of refreshment during this time of lockdown too, and you haven't watched last week's service, it is online, it is on our website, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the sermon on Psalm 57, a real encouragement for us during this time of lockdown. But this week, we are going to pick back up our sermon series in the Gospel of Matthew this week and next week, um, and then we'll enter into a new sermon series. But we are going to, yeah, we are going to continue in the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to read together Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 to 15. So if you've got a Bible handy, do turn there, otherwise the verses I'm referring to will appear on the video. Matthew 10, verses uh, 1 to 15, are all about mission. And so I'm going to say this right at the start. Some of the content of this morning's sermon and some of the application of this sermon might be something that you need to hold on to during November and this second national lockdown and remember so that you can apply it when we come out of lockdown because this passage really is about going and preaching the good news of Jesus Christ and bringing um, the healing and power of Christ as we go to those who need to hear the gospel. And so there will be some application for us during this time, during November, but there's also going to be some of this passage that we need to hold on to, that we need to remember and stick with, so that we can live it out in the future. As a church, we believe God has given us a mission to tell as many people as possible about the good news of Jesus Christ. That those who put their faith in Jesus, believe in his life, death, resurrection and ascension into heaven, they will receive forgiveness for sin and life everlasting. It's fantastic news. They will be restored into a relationship with God himself. And so we want to tell as many people as possible about this good, good news that we believe. That's our mission as a church, to tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ. If you're a non-Christian watching our video, you're so welcome. Thank you for watching. I want you to know we're not ashamed of this mission. We're not ashamed to say we're trying to persuade you of the truth of Christianity. We're trying to persuade you that Jesus Christ is king and that he loves you and that he's rescued you by dying on the cross for your sins and all you need to do is put your faith in him to receive forgiveness and eternal life. We're not ashamed of that mission. We're not ashamed that we're seeking to persuade people that the Bible, this word, is true. And so that's what this morning is all about. Our mission of going to the world, going to the town of Fareham, going to the surrounding regions, going to the United Kingdom, even going beyond that if some of us are called to go to other nations. The mission of God and sharing the good news of the kingdom of God. But I want to ask you church, I want to ask you Christian, what are your expectations for the mission? When you go, when you proclaim, when you speak to others about Jesus, do you expect God to move miraculously? 
to move in power, to bring healing as you go on this mission that God has called us to. Do you expect to be successful, to see people turn from their sin and believe in Jesus Christ? Do you expect rejection on this mission, that some would hear and reject your message and some would hear and even reject you yourself for what you believe? Are you expecting miracles? Are you expecting success? Are you expecting rejection and trial and difficulty? All these things are picked up on in Matthew chapter 10. Because in Matthew 10, for the first time, Jesus delegates his mission to his disciples. Jesus calls his 12 apostles to his side and he sends them out to fulfil the mission of God. And some parts of their mission in Matthew 10 is unique to them, to their calling, their mission. But there are also principles that we can learn about the mission that God has called us to. So let's read together Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 to 15. Matthew 10, verses 1 to 15. Jesus called to himself his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, Give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or tunics or sandals or a staff, for the labourer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. So Jesus, in that passage, calls 12 men to himself to be appointed apostles in the church. Jesus calls them, he delegates authority to them, and then he sends them out with specific instructions for how this mission at this time is to work for those apostles. And amongst these men that Jesus calls, there are fishermen, there's Matthew, a tax collector, one who collected tax for the Romans, and there's also a man called Simon the Zealot, one who wanted to violently overthrow the Roman government, who opposed, opposed him. And even amongst these 12 apostles is a man called Judas Iscariot, who Jesus knows will ultimately betray him. Amazing group of men who come together 
at this time as Jesus calls and sends them out. Now the first thing I want you to see in this text is that the apostles are the answer to their own prayer. The apostles are the answer to their own prayer. Look back at, at chapter 9 and remember Dio's sermon from two weeks ago. Look at verse 36. So Matthew 9 verse 36, it says this. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then have a look at verse 38. Jesus sees these harassed and helpless people, sheep without a shepherd. And then he turns to his disciples, these 12 men who were following him, and said, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the harvest. It's no coincidence then that the very next thing that happens, so that's the end of Matthew chapter 9, the very next thing that happens in Matthew chapter 10 is that Jesus, the Lord of the harvest, sends out the 12 apostles. Do you see that? The, the, the disciples presumably pray, they respond, Jesus says pray, and they go, fine, we're going to pray for Jesus to send out laborers. And then they pray, and then Jesus does send out laborers, and the laborers he sends out are the 12 disciples who have been praying for this very thing to take place. Now, have a look at Matthew 10, verse 6, where Jesus says to his apostles, go to the lost sheep of Israel. Do you see how this fits together? Jesus saw that the people were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then the disciples pray and then Jesus sends those disciples who were praying to go out to the lost sheep of Israel as an answer to the prayer that they were praying. The prayer is answered. The apostles are the answer to their own prayer. And so I want to ask you, as my first point this morning, do you remember what Dio was preaching about two weeks ago and how he called us to pray for God to send out workers into the harvest? Do you remember that sermon? Have you put that sermon into action? Have you been praying for the last two weeks that God would send out laborers into the harvest to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, that many people would hear and respond that the harvest would be plentiful? Have you responded to that sermon in prayer? Now, from Matthew chapter 10, let this be the challenge. Are you prepared to be the answer to your own prayer? Are you prepared to be the answer to your own prayer. And maybe you're thinking, how can I go on mission now while we're in lockdown? Well, there's plenty of ways to still be on mission and to be the answer to your own prayer right now. You can send letters, you can send emails, you can make phone calls, you can speak to people, maybe your neighbours over the garden fence, for example. There are people, even now in lockdown, yes, we need to observe the government guidelines, but even now there are people that we are going to have contact with, whether digitally or by a phone call, who we can share the good news of Jesus Christ with. Let's not think the mission is just on pause for a month. Let's know that even now we are on mission. And given that you've hopefully prayed for labourers to be sent out into the harvest, are you prepared to be one of those labourers who speaks up right now by sharing the good news of Jesus? That's the challenge from Matthew chapter 10, as the apostles are the answer to their own prayer. May we be the answer to our prayers. 
Now, as we consider this passage from the Apostles' point of view, let's also make sure we see how Jesus is acting. Jesus is the king in this passage, and he's the king who calls and sends. And throughout the Bible, we see God and Jesus Christ as the king who calls people to himself and then sends them out. He gives them a purpose. He gives them a mission to go and be a part of the kingdom of God. That's exactly what he's doing here, isn't it? He's calling the 12 apostles. He's calling them by name, and then he's sending them out to do his will. And so I want to ask you, have you been called by King Jesus? If you're a Christian, you have been called. It was the Holy Spirit who moved in your heart and called you to believe in Christ. And so Jesus has called you if you are a Christian. You have been called. Where are you being sent? Where are you being sent? Jesus calls and sends. And every Christian whom he is called by the power of the Holy Spirit, he also sends out in the power of the Holy Spirit to fulfil his mission. Are you being sent to the people around you? Are you being sent to your friends and family? Are you being sent to your street in Fareham? Are you being sent to, to the village of Droxford? Are you being sent to Gosport? Are you being sent further afield? And, and you know, sometimes as a church leader, you don't want to say these things, but it may be that someone in our church is being called by God to go on mission abroad, to go to a place where they've never heard the gospel before and go and proclaim it. I would love to be a sending church that we would send people around the world to declare the gospel. You've been called by Jesus Christ if you're a Christian. Where are you being sent by him? For he is the king who calls and sends. That's the first thing I want you to see. Jesus is the king who calls and sends, and the apostles are the answer to their own prayer. Secondly, let's see in Matthew chapter 10 that Jesus delegates his authority to the apostles. Now think back for our sermon series in Matthew over the last few couple of months, and particularly in chapters 8 and 9, we've seen time and time again that Jesus has awesome authority. We've seen that he has the authority to forgive sins. We've seen that he has the authority to drive out demons. We've seen that he has the authority to heal every sickness and every disease that is brought to him. Jesus has such power and authority in Matthew's gospel. And I think part of our response to this should be just to praise and worship Jesus for his awesome authority. He can do all things. Nothing is impossible for him, for he is the one through whom the world was created. He can do everything. All authority belongs to him. Let's worship Jesus, to whom all authority belongs. But in Matthew 10, an extraordinary thing happens. Jesus delegates his authority to his 12 apostles. Jesus gives his authority to these 12 men, that they might drive out demons, that they might heal every disease and every affliction. Isn't that amazing? Jesus giving his authority to the 12 apostles. Now, this delegation of authority in chapter 10, verse 1, requires careful examination and deep understanding. Because I think I'm going to upset a few people this morning with what I bring, but I think this verse has been abused and misused by Pentecostals and people in the charismatic church. In fact, there are famous preachers, a lot of them on God TV, who have built whole ministries on 
interpreting and preaching this verse wrongly. For they have built ministries on the idea that every Christian has authority to heal every disease and illness. And they've built this understanding and this teaching upon this verse. The two names that I see most commonly um, referenced in this kind of teaching, but I'm sure there are many others, is Kenneth Copeland and Andrew Womack. Um, On Andrew Womack's um, website, he uses Matthew 10 verse 1 to say that every Christian has authority to heal every disease and every affliction. But that is a false teaching. That is not a true teaching. If you look carefully at the text, and this is what we must do when we read the Bible, we look carefully at the text and and seek to find the true meaning rather than just accepting the things that we hear. Even as I preach to you, you should have your Bibles open testing the things that I say. Is Duncan really revealing what's in God's word or is he just teaching his own agenda? Let's look carefully at the text. And what we'll see is in this verse, this, this verse doesn't say, that every Christian is given authority over every illness and sickness. No, this verse is specifically given to the 12 apostles. They are given authority to heal every disease and every sickness. It's important that we see that. You can't use this text as a proof text to say every Christian has authority over every sickness and every disease, because that's not what the text says. The text says that Jesus gave this authority to the 12 apostles. You know, there isn't another verse in the Bible. There's no other verse in the Bible that speaks about the authority to heal every disease being given to Christians. And so if you build that theology upon this verse, you're not looking to the rest of scripture to build your theology, and you're wrongly interpreting this verse. It's not about every Christian. It's about the apostles being given this authority. The second thing we should notice in the verse is the apostles given authority to heal every disease and every affliction. So if there is a Christian who believes they have authority to heal in this way that is given in Matthew 10 verse 1, then they should heal every time they pray, for they have been given authority over every disease and every sickness. And there is no Christian operating like that today. There are Christians who might claim to operate like that, but they are not. Think about this for a second. If Christians had authority over every disease and affliction, why do Christians still die? Surely Christians should live eternally here on the earth if they have authority to heal every disease and every affliction. Death itself always comes by way of some affliction or some disease, and so Why do Christians die? Well, the answer is that this was a particular authority given to the apostles here in Matthew chapter 10, not an authority given to every single Christian. Finally, have a look at verse 5, where Jesus says to the apostles, go nowhere among the Gentiles. That's clearly not a universal command to every Christian. We're called to go around the world to everybody preaching the gospel. But here in Matthew 10, Jesus says to the apostles, go nowhere among the Gentiles, only go to the Israelites. And so if you apply Matthew 10 verse 1 universally to every Christian, then surely you need to take verse 5 and apply that universally to every Christian as well and say that Christians should only go and evangelise amongst Israel. It's a nonsense, isn't it? What's happening here is a very specific call to the 12 apostles. They are given a specific authority. They are given a specific mission. And therefore, we cannot take 
this authority given in 10 verse 1 and assume based on that verse that every Christian has all authority to heal every sickness and every disease. That's not what the Bible teaches. Now just to clarify this for you, let's think about the end of Matthew's Gospel. So here in Matthew 10, the apostles are given authority to heal every disease and every affliction, and they're told to go only to the Israelites. They're not to go to the Gentiles. But then at the end of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus speaks again. After the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, Christ speaks again to the apostles, and he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You see, the mission changes for the apostles. In Matthew 10, this is a kind of a mini mission, a practice mission, where they're to go to Israelite towns and preach the gospel. But then after Jesus' resurrection, they're to go to all the nations. They are to go to the Gentiles. And notice the change in the emphasis on authority at the end of Matthew's gospel as well. Here in Matthew 10, Jesus says, I'm giving you authority. But in Matthew 28, Jesus says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The emphasis in Matthew 28 and this universal mission to go to all nations is not that we have received authority, it's that Jesus has all authority and he is with us. Now that's a slightly nuanced and subtle difference, but it's very, very important. If you meet a preacher and a minister and their emphasis is always on your authority to heal diseases, then I'm not sure they're respecting Jesus's words in the Great Commission. I don't think they're appreciating the subtleties of Matthew chapter 10. And I think a far better way of speaking about authority and healing is to emphasise Jesus's authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations and Jesus will be with you wherever you go. By the power of the Spirit, that's what happens. Jesus breathes out the Spirit into every Christian believer. And so Jesus Christ goes with you wherever you go, even to the end of the age. As Christians and as a church, I want our emphasis to be on Christ's authority to heal. Now, I want to be super clear on this. I know I'm, I'm really emphasising this point, but I want to be super clear on this. So what I want to do is talk about four positions on healing that exist within the church right now. And, and I want to tell you where I think the biblical position is. So the first position on healing is this position. Healing doesn't happen today. There are many churches that believe that. There are many churches that believe the spiritual gifts of healing have ceased and no longer take place. Now, I, I suspect there aren't many people who believe that within our church because we're openly charismatic. And I suspect most people who believe that healing has ceased will have gone to a different church, may have tried us out and gone, oh, these guys believe in healing. I'm out of here. So I, I'm not going to dwell on this point too long. But there are some Christians who believe healing doesn't happen today. And if that's you, I would direct you to look at 1 Corinthians 1 verse 7, where Paul writes this. You do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. You do not like, lack any spiritual gift, that verse says. And later on, in 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul lists the spiritual gifts and includes gifts 
of healing. And what that verse says is, you don't lack any spiritual gift as you wait for Jesus Christ to be revealed. In other words, we do not lack the spiritual gifts up until the moment when Jesus Christ returns at his second coming. That's the moment when the gifts of healing will cease. And the reason it ceases is because all will be made well. There will no longer be any disease or sickness to heal. So the gift of healing is completely unnecessary. So we believe very much that healings continue today. And if you don't, um, we'd love to talk to you about that. And there are far more verses that I could go to to prove that point. So that's the first position on one end of the spectrum, the belief that healing doesn't happen today. Now, I've already talked about what I'm going to call position four, which is this extreme false teaching that Christians have authority to heal every disease and affliction. I hope I've convinced you that that is not the correct biblical position. But just to give you one more verse to convince you of that, in 2 Timothy 4 verse 20, Paul says, I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletos. So Paul, this great hero of the Christian faith, left a friend ill in a certain place as he continued his mission. Now, can you imagine how outrageous that would be if Paul believed he had all authority to heal every disease and affliction, and yet he decided to just leave his mate feeling sick? You know, hey, tr- hey, Trophimus, I could heal you, but because um, I've got all authority to heal um, every disease, but I'm just going to leave you here, actually, and continue on my way. It'd be ridiculous. What Paul didn't believe that he had authority to heal every sickness and every disease. He, he knew that he didn't have that authority. He had boldness to, pr- to pray and to command in Jesus' name for healing to happen, but he himself did not have that authority. And so that verse in 2 Timothy, I think, proves clearly that Christians do not have authority to heal every disease and affliction. So that's position one and position four, which leaves us with positions two and three. Position two is people who believe in healing today, but are very, very cautious about it. And I think most of us sit here in this category. And we this morning need to be emboldened to see in scripture that when the gospel is proclaimed, it is accompanied with power with healings and with miracles you know i don't want us and I'm, I'm preaching to myself here because i tend to be cautious in this area and i need to be emboldened by the holy spirit this morning i need to preach this to myself we should not be cautious in the way we pray for healing but we should be full of boldness and full of compassion for those who need healing you know in john 14 verse 12 jesus says this whoever believes in me will do the works that I do and greater works than these. And when he talks about works, he's he's including the works of miracles that he has performed. And he says, whoever believes in me. And so that verse that says that a Christian who believes in Christ, as I do, will do the works that Jesus did and even greater. It's a phenomenally powerful verse, but we don't live like that verse is true. We don't live like Jesus really said those words. Or we live like he may have said those, but we don't believe him. And so there's many of us in this category, position two, believing in healings, but being very cautious. And if you're in that category this morning, we need to move to position three. This is where I want us to sit and live our Christian lives. That we would believe in healings and have boldness and faith in praying for others. You know, the reason that we're cautious, the reason some of us sit in position two, 
is because we love ourselves more than we love others. We don't want to embarrass ourselves by failing. And so we say, oh, I won't pray this time because I'll embarrass myself. It won't happen and I'll just embarrass myself. And so we love ourselves more than we love someone in desperate need of healing and refreshment in their lives. It's a lack of love for others that stops us praying. And it's a selfish love that stops us from praying. And it's a failure of faith in the power and the compassion of God, isn't it? And so I want to encourage you this morning. Jesus has all authority. He is with you always, even to the end of the age. And so let's be bold to appeal to Jesus' love and Jesus' power to heal the people we meet who need it. Now, I'm not, I don't want to be too prescriptive about the method that we use to pray for healing. In James 5 verse 14, it says, bring those who are sick to the elders of the church and they will anoint this person with oil and they will pray for healing. And the implication is there that there is a place for praying and asking God to heal someone. But there's also within this New Testament a very clear example, a method of praying for healing, which is about commanding saying, in the name of Jesus, be healed. In the name of Jesus, disease, be gone. Paul says in Acts 16, verse 18, this is about a demon, but he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. I think both methods are valid. Praying, asking, Lord, would you please heal this person, but also commanding, in the name of Jesus, disease, be gone. But if we use the commanding method, let's be clear that we are commanding in Jesus' name, and it's Jesus' authority that heals, and Jesus' power that heals, and not our own authority or power. A policeman shouts, doesn't he? Stop in the name of the law. And when he shouts that, he's shouting at a criminal, he's appealing to the authority of the law of the land. He's not saying, I'm a policeman, and I have great authority, therefore you must stop. He's saying... The law says you've broken the law and therefore you need to stop and you need to be arrested. He's commanding the criminal on the authority of the law, not his own authority. And you know, sometimes the criminal is, is arrested and he goes through the legal process and it turns out the criminal didn't break the law and he's released to go free. The policeman commanded wrongly and he got it wrong. In the same way, when we command healing, we command in the name of Jesus Christ. We command on the authority of Jesus. Disease be gone in the name of Jesus. It's his authority, it's his power, not mine. Illness be gone in Jesus' name. And sometimes we get it wrong. Sometimes we go, disease be gone in Jesus' name. And Jesus says, I have a greater purpose for this person and this illness. You know, this person is going to be made well when I return in glory. Not right now, the timing's not right. And this person's going to worship and glorify God by persevering through affliction and trial. But I will heal her, because, or him, him or her, because all sickness and disease will be healed when Jesus returns again. So the, the healing will come, but it's just in the future and not for the now. Or sometimes Jesus says, actually, it's this person's time. I'm calling this person home and they're going to die from this. But they will enter into paradise with me for they are a believer in Jesus Christ. That's sometimes how Jesus responds to our commands or prayers for healing. It's his authority, it's his decision, it's his power. And yet, let's not make that dampen our boldness. 
Many of us need to pray and, and many of us need to command healing and just know Jesus' authority and power and be emboldened to pray for healing today. You know, if you're in category two, let's move to category three. And let's, when we see someone hurting, let's have boldness to pray for them in Jesus' name. I've spent a long time on verse one. I appreciate that. But I think that's an area of um, teaching that needs to be given. And if you're struggling on this topic, there's a really good article by Phil Moore, which, which walks this balance of knowing the power and authority in Christ's name to heal, but without overstepping the mark as some false teachers do. And so, there's, yeah, type in Google Fillmore's article on healing and it should come up. It's really, really helpful. So we, we've seen that the apostles answered their own prayer, point one. We've seen that Jesus delegated his healing authority to the apostles, point two. I just want to draw out a few more things from verses five to 15. And so my third point this morning is that wealth and possessions can hinder the mission. There is an idolatrous tendency to be materialists. And I think, therefore, this is an opportunity to examine ourselves and say, am I a materialist? Am I storing up possession and wealth for myself? And are those possessions and wealth hindering the mission of God? Have a look at verse 9. Jesus says to his disciples, Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the labourer deserves his food. In other words, Jesus says, travel light. Don't take loads of luggage with you and don't acquire lots of wealth as you go. And the implication and the principle here is that possessions and wealth can hinder the mission of God. Now again, we want to read this passage as a specific command to the apostles at this moment in time. So we don't, we don't apply the specifics of what Jesus says, but we take the principle and apply it to the way we do mission. And so we say, let's, let's examine ourselves. Let's see whether we have possessions and wealth that are hindering the mission of God. Do we have possessions that take all our attention and time away from praying and seeking God and, and sharing Jesus with others? In lockdown, don't heap up possessions and entertainment packages to keep you occupied, but rather seek the Lord in prayer and write letters and emails and texts and phone calls in order to reach others with the good news of Jesus Christ. Wealth and possessions sometimes hinder the mission of God, and there are some of us this morning who need to sell possessions, get rid of wealth in order to free ourselves up, in order to be greater and more radical in the way we proclaim and live out our Christian lives. That's point three. And my fourth point is this. Rejection happens. Look at verse 14, where Jesus says to the apostles, If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet. And he speaks about judgment upon that house or that town. The apostles would go to places. They would preach the good news of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus has come. He's a great and mighty king. They would heal. They would do miracles. They would drive out demons. And some people wouldn't listen to them. In fact, that verse says that they themselves were rejected. They did not receive you or listen to your words. Rejection happens when Christians faithfully go on mission. Christ Church Fairham as we boldly go and proclaim the good news of Christ, expect miracles and healings, but also expect rejection, sometimes deeply hurtful rejection 
as people not only reject your words as you speak about Jesus, but also reject you. In fact, I would go as far to say as if you haven't experienced rejection, you need to seriously ask yourself whether you truly are proclaiming the good news of Christ. Are you putting it out there to be rejected? Or are you shrinking back in fear from proclaiming the good news of Christ? Those who boldly proclaim will also be rejected. The message of Jesus will be rejected and you yourselves will be rejected. And sometimes that can be deeply painful. We need to be ready for that. We need to expect that. But we go anyway because we love people and we desperately want them to know the love of Jesus. As I draw to a close then, let's return to where Deo had us two weeks ago in our sermon two weeks ago, where we learnt this, that there are helpless and harassed people like sheep without a shepherd out there in the world. We need to pray for God to send out workers into the harvest, for the harvest is plentiful. But we also need to respond ourselves and be the answer to our own prayer, to go out and proclaim the gospel, to be the labourer in the harvest. We need to go with boldness, expectant for God to bring healing and miracles as we go. We need to command healing, uh, command diseases to be gone and illnesses to go in the name of Jesus Christ, appealing to Jesus' authority and not relying on our own authority. We also need to throw away possessions, get rid of wealth that's holding us back. And maybe there is something you need to sell this morning. Get rid of it. Go, go on mission. Stop this thing holding you back. Get rid of it. And we also need to go expecting rejection, that some people are going to hear us, even maybe see miracles, and still reject the message that we bring. And yet we still go out of love, knowing that Jesus can transform lives, knowing that all who believe in Christ receive forgiveness, receive eternal life, receive relationship with God the Father, relationship with God restored. It's a wonderful thing. We need people to hear it and believe it. We eagerly desire that. And even though there might be rejection, we still proclaim this good news as boldly as we can, that as many people as possible might hear this good news and respond. Let me pray for us. Lord, we recognise that in the world there are people who are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, who need Jesus to be their king. And we pray, send out labourers, send out workers, to share the good news and to bring people into the kingdom. And Lord, we say send us. We will respond. We will be the answers to our own prayer. We will be the ones you send out. Lord, you're the Lord of the harvest. Send us out into the harvest to do the mission of Jesus Christ. May we declare the good news of Christ and bring many people into the kingdom. Lord, I pray as we go, you would do the supernatural. You would bring miracles. You would bring healings. That there, that the message would go with words, but also with power. And as the power comes, people would turn and believe in Jesus Christ. Lord, would you tear away things that are holding us back? Lord, take away wealth and possessions that we do not need. And Lord, may we go forward unburdened by things, unburdened by being materialist, and instead just fulfilled in following Jesus Christ. And finally, we do not pray for rejection, but we pray that when rejection comes, we would handle it well in faith, knowing your love, knowing you are with us, knowing that all authority in heaven and on earth belong to you. And you are with us always, even to the end of the age. Thank you, Lord. Send us on this mission, we pray, for your glory, for, that your name might be known and heard and believed in, 
that people would worship you all over Fairham, all over the surrounding region, all over this country, all over the world. Send us out to make disciples that we might baptise people in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.